For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, your premier North American rugby podcast, growing rugby one fan at a time. And welcome back, rugby fans. Here we are for episode 133 of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. A reminder for all our fans tuning in, my name is Ty, the Saffer Braga, and per usual, joining me is my colleagues, Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott, the big guy, Ferrara, and a familiar face for many who would have seen him here before, but back again for another bout, we have TJ Olsen. TJ, welcome back, my friend. Boys, it's always always good time to sit down and chat North American rugby. I'm super excited to be back. Let's let's rip straight into it. I'm, I'm ready to go. I like it, I like it, I like it. And what we're going to be debating here today, just so everybody knows, what we're going to do is first dive into Around the Pitch as we share some news from across the rugby realms. So yes, and diving into this episode, we're going to be talking more about rugby and specifically the introduction of the idea whether a tour for the women's British and Irish Lions could be feasible in the future and could the USA be a good host for one of those upcoming tours. We're going to take time to debate this and more, but first, we best jump into Around the Pitch to share more news from across the rugby realms. When we pick up the ball, we also pick up a legacy. A legacy that stretches beyond. A legacy built on the backs of those who came before you with hard work. And for those who will come after you, we promise it won't be easy. But we'll be there, supporting you on and off the field. gentlemen you know how it goes but for those who don't know we're gonna go rapid fire around the screen to share whatever you think is noteworthy that fans at home tuning in can learn more about rugby here in north america and abroad and we're gonna start it off with our guest tj olsen what do you got for us so we're sticking with the theme. We've got the women in, in charge. And this weekend, the first game of the Women's Premier League competition, aka the WPL, kicked off this weekend. We had some incredible first hit outs. Beantown had a 60-plus point victory in their first match this weekend. Colorado and Berkeley both scored a narrow two-point victory over their opponents. And the competition's looking a little different without Atlanta, San Diego, or Oregon. But the, the competition's still looking really good. Very solid rugby and with that theme, if you're a young woman player who is 
hoping to one day play for a WPL program and just want to develop your skills. The start of the under 23 rep season has officially begun. So if you're interested, reach out to your local rugby union and register to trial for one of these teams. I will be coaching the Pac South women's under 23 team. Um, we're going to be hosting trials in LA on the 30th of April and selecting a team to compete in your neck of the woods, Ty, in Iowa in June. So really excited to go to Iowa. Never been there before. Um, so yeah, it's women's rugby still alive and well in, in America. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. But as you said, never been in Iowa and I'm looking forward to be there. I could see Rob laughing uh, and smiling <laughs> inside going, well, I don't blame you. But you know what? Always you know, they went to Chicago last year and now they're going to the huge metropolis of the main <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> hey, this is a really great place for sports. Uh, we don't have much else except sports. Um, and corn. But you know, it's it's going to be good fun, and uh, I hope that we'll catch up for a beer, uh, uh, TJ, and uh, I'll get to be able to see you out there doing your thing alongside some really great athletes, uh, taking the sport forward in the U.S. And on that note, we're going to hand it over to Rob the Hammer Hammer Schmidt to give his piece. Thanks, Ty, and welcome back. Uh, it's been a minute. Um, you know, you've intended to your business, but... I want to talk about something close to home that's incredibly near and dear to my heart as I've gotten ingratiated to the Chicago Hounds and they've opened up their arms to me. I've gotten to know a lot of the boys and uh, become uh, very close to them. And and uh, one of those guys is Luke White, uh, just an incredible guy. Um, I had a chance to touch base with him last week as I was uh, watching some of the training, the forwards get some work in. And as he came off, he said to me, he said, hey, Hammer, do you know of anybody else that's played in the front row, the second row, and the back row in the MLR? And I had to think about it for a minute. I said, you know, I'm not the foremost expert. I think James Dealey is the person to ask. And so I rung him up. And sure enough, uh, according to James' records, nobody else has played in the front row, second row, and back row in Major League Rugby career. So Luke White is the first guy to do it, played number eight against San Diego. So a chapeau to Luke White. Congratulations, Hi. mate. Um, you are the uh, heart and soul man of that Hounds team. And uh, let's hope you guys keep trucking, get some, get some things on track here very shortly. I think one of the greatest things that I love about Luke White, and I got to know him very briefly when I was uh, uh, announcing for them at the Raptors in Glendale, when, of course, they were still around. But he did an interview while with the Raptors and the local Colorado TV station talking about promoting rugby and how wonderful the sport it is and how safe it is with a giant shiner on his black. It was the poster child of the advert for every rugby fan. But I imagine yeah. the rest of the country going, what? You say go out there and get more of that? <laughs> I would I would argue. If Dylan the Butcher Fawcett was only four or five inches taller, he probably would have hit that first. Unfortunately, right. he was not blessed with the height. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might have been right. I mean, both have been playing rugby a long time in the U.S., um, and we thank them for that. But that certainly is going uh, a long way to be able to show the pedigree of, uh, of his character and uh, as an athlete to be able to be that versatile and an asset to any team. So there you see him with the Hounds, previously, of course, with uh, the Giltinis and former to that with the Raptors. So certainly he's paid his Love years. me some Luke White. Love him. He was, yeah. he was a great, great one to have in L.A. He's a love Whitey. Excellent. Let's hand it over to you, Scott. What do you got? Well, July 15th, 2023, uh, the World Rugby Football League is putting on the New York City Sevens Tournament. They've dubbed it the world's greatest rugby sevens 
hits New York City, the world's richest one million dollar prize. Uh, they're 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 flaunting a lot of these HSBC seven schemes uh, to come in, and and they're 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 gig to try and get them is that this is going to be a tune up for uh, I guess uh, the World Cup um, matches coming in, and and that's that's what they're trying to do. You know, work out some guys, get some guys some time. Um, it's interesting. Uh, we know that the uh, World Rugby Football League has had sevens license for years now. Um, a couple failed attempts at trying to do something similar. Um, and I mean, we're talking, you know, seven years is a long time. Um, they do have this little plan that's interesting. Uh, I'll just go through it. So phase one, 2023, 16 games and one eight-hour event with a $1 million cash pool. This is the one that we were just talking about that's happening in July 15th at Red Bull Arena. Um, again, uh, doing it in New Jersey, but calling it a New York City event. Uh, phase two, 2024, 48 games uh, with four events. Um, they'll have playoffs in New York City and L.A. with finals taking place in Vegas, and that's a $4 million cash pool. And finally, Phase 3, 2025, 112 games uh, with a $12 million cash pool, and the events will be showcased in Dallas, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco with finals taking place in New York, L.A., and Vegas. Again, don't know if it's going to get off the ground. The big guy Certainly. has asked for some press creds. Yeah, if it happens, is yeah. Um, yeah, if, the, if, the, if it happens, the big guy will be there and – Definitely give you a, a thorough look at, at what went on and, and how it went. Yeah, and we hope to be able to see every one of these be a great success because obviously it's for the greater good of rugby. But it comes with a little bit of skepticism when you add such an impressive money figure to it because it usually comes down to the important question is where's the money coming from? But, right. of course, they've advertised it. It's going to be interesting to be able to see. We'll continue to be able to follow it through Scott, who's going to be able to share some summary of the action, uh, having had the opportunity to hopefully see it in action himself. Not too far from your home, easy your drive uh, oh, yeah. so we'll learn more about that in time to come and let me dive into the last piece over here to be able to talk about women's rugby and in particular we talk about the pacific four series which does include usa canada uh, Australia and New Zealand and the second leg has been announced that the host will be Ottawa. Uh, this is great to be able to see them trying a new venue, a great opportunity to be able to re-engage rugby audiences thereby. Um, but also it's going to be great to be able to see double headers in all these actions. So they're going to be going moving into the second leg there. That'll be July 8th and 14th where you'll get to be able to see the action, the broadcasting rights have not yet been announced so stay close to their social media accounts i'm sure they're going to be sharing that information shortly but you can assume they will be broadcast partners they're just i guess fixing the details um, but we hope to be able to see it uh, viewed by fans both here in the u.s and canada um, so it'll be important to be able to participate and as a fan by just tuning in the more eyeballs they have the greater it is for a rugby product the more likely it is to be able to get even better play from a variety of networks and it's easy to be able to do we imagine that it's going to be um, not be behind a paywall um, so that means that you have no excuse and you can support women's rugby because that is certainly one of the great futures for rugby globally we're going to be talking more about that in a moment as we take a break First, to hear from one of our partners before diving into the important topic here today to talk about the idea of whether a British and Irish Lions tour for the women's game is feasible moving forward and should the U.S. be considered as a host. On this week's edit, I've realized that we've forgotten to honor two individuals that have achieved 50 caps playing in the MLR. And 
I wanted to make sure that we followed through on this tradition that we've started and do right by honoring these two individuals. The first is at number 41, Eric Howard from the NOLA Gold and, of course, cap for Rugby Canada, a hooker in his own right and uh, uh, one heck of a player. And also Peter Malcolm from the Seattle Seawolves at number 42, once again honoring the 50 for 50. So we'll again continue to follow up with this as we edge ever closer to that 50th player to reach 50 caps in the MLR. But until then, we'll continue the tradition. Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans, as it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Bruce Durr and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your microbrew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. Tighthead is committed to supporting the rugby community. This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant Podcast show. Tighthead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or dark bale-aged brew, Tighthead can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. Welcome back, rugby fans, episode 133, and we have an interesting debate here. And again, we're going to be diving into the interesting proposal that will... Really stop what is that noise in the background there, Rob? <laughs> the Chicago team's right next door. There we go. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been spending so much time on rugby. My wife kicked me out. I've now had to take up residence in the Dome next to the Stadium, so... You know, the hounds are out and about at all at all hours uh, here in Bridgeview, Illinois. So, you know, making do with the best. All right. The hounds getting in on the action here on the uh, Rugby Rant podcast show. It's good to be able to have them on board. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> got a famine, dude. <laughs> so let's, 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 uh, let's highlight the importance of this for everybody tuning in. Recently... Uh, there was a proposal, or well, not a proposal, but there was a feasibility study that wanted to identify whether it might be a good idea to be able to host a British and Irish Lions tour for the women's rugby game, uh, wherever that tour may take them. Now, traditionally, it's been the uh, host nations have been South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia as former colonies of the British crown. And that's kind of been, uh, you bring the best of what you've got against the best of what we've got. And so it traveled from every four-year cycle to another nation. Uh, This is how it has been traditionally, but yet in the study, it was actually shown that America 
for the Women's Lions Tour could be a great venue. We're here to, to be able to debate the merits behind that. Why do we think that is a, a great idea if it comes to fruition, which again, we're not saying it has, we're not saying it will, but it's an interesting conversation. And that's why we're here today in episode 133 to be able to talk about that. So we're going to give it to each one of these gentlemen to highlight why they believe the U.S. should be considered as a partner and host to a future Lions tour, if it ever should come to be. We're going to start it off with TJ Olsen. Why do you think so? Tell us why. So before I answer the USA portion, I feel like just from me, there's no reason why the rugby, this team shouldn't go ahead. From a rugby and entertainment perspective, this this uh-huh. tour go ahead just to promote women's rugby. I think they did a, a recent couple of interviews asking some former players, should this happen? Why should it happen? There's just there's too many reasons why it should happen. Right. There's certainly an appetite there. Yeah, it's it's definitely there, and I think um, the, just the team that they would assemble, you just like you get foaming at the mouth thinking about just some of the combinations that you would be able to get from that. So I think you clearly see from the success of the Women's World Cup, there's definitely a want and need for more high caliber women's rugby to be played and televised, and the evidence right. of the Red Roses game at Twickenham Stadium, um, how many tickets they've been able to sell, like it's just. Spoils galore. But the question regarding if the USA women should be a part of this initial tour. So this is where it gets a little bit tricky for me personally, because I think my answer comes down to what kind of involvement do USA have in this tour? So I think USA, when you think as a country, they definitely have the capacity with the stadiums and everything like that Mm -hmm. to host it. But when you, when you look at it, and me, someone who potentially wants to coach the USA Women's one day, I think it definitely you'd benefit from it, uh, playing a game against a team like that, because the only way you get better is when you play the best opposition possible on a regular basis. But looking at the World Cup that just happened, I don't think the US could compete with a first string or second string Lions team from the combinations that you just see on paper or thinking from that. So from an entertainment standpoint and from growing the game here in the US, Having North America be the focal point of the tour is not a smart idea, in my opinion. I think maybe down the line, it's potentially something that can happen, but not right at this minute or maybe in a few years. The first Lions tour for the women, in my opinion, should be in a a country that's based or somewhere that has a couple of countries close together that has a strong talent pool with depth where you could put on a variety of teams in multiple different matches against Lions and they could play around with their combinations, do all that type of stuff where all games are somewhat competitive. So if you look at the Uh Lions tour that happened in New Zealand, the Lions squad chopped and changed while they played the All Blacks, the Māori All Blacks, the New Zealand Barbarians, which is like Yeah, and I wanted to be able to help people understand because maybe they aren't actually – aware of what Alliance Tour looks like. Mm -hmm. Not only are they playing the national side, but they're playing the different clubs in between, provincial or whatever else. That's hence the tour. So when you're talking about the broader spectrum of the quality of rugby, you're taking into into consideration, you know, from amateur to semi-professional all the way up to professional. And and that's what you're saying, you know what, it has makes more sense to be able to have a country maybe like New Zealand. So continue. I didn't want to derail you. No, 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 that's that's great. Because I think think one... One thing you've got to consider is there's a lot of people that may not follow it as close as we do. So right. we, we know that the nuances and the ins and outs of all this stuff and how this all comes together. But it leads me to my point. Thank you, Ty, for that. Because New Zealand and Australia for me is only the, the only logical place that could be the first tour for me um, for the Lions to really start it off and see the Lions tour start. And then we, and then we kind of delve on that and make sure that it sticks around. Because I uh-huh. feel like if the USA women 
who struggled against competition like Italy and Canada in, in the Women's World Cup. And I, I'm just trying to be realistic about how competitive this Lions team on paper would be. The right. only way I see the USA women being involved in this first in, inaugural tour is if the Lions make a pit stop on the way to traveling to like um, Oceania or somewhere like that. And they have like a, a tune-up match. If the tours are a focal point in North America, from my opinion, USA just let's, let's make an, an, a, an executive decision that we, we assume that the, in my opinion, that the USA are going to get convincingly bent. How, how entertaining would that be for a, a new fan or someone who's, who's trying to look at that. And mm-hmm. I think the last point I'll make, I was at the game where the All Blacks played USA in Chicago. I met a lot of new fans who watched the All Blacks put on a pretty heavy score against against the USA. I haven't heard a lot from those new fans since. I don't know if they're still watching rugby. So I feel like that's the way it goes where the USA is a pit stop and then they have a they have a tour down in Australia and New Zealand. That's where I would go with it. But that's it's that's a really interesting take, and I think it's refreshing to be able to hear this as a really uh, a powerful position with the first guest here, because really what it comes down to is you're like, yeah, we'd be a good host, but not for your first tour. You know, we still need to be able to match them on the field. Then we need to be able to match the fan experience that people have come to enjoy from a Lions tour. Yep. So traditionally. New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, there's a history of success. There's a tradition that they follow. So you're building upon years of success from previous Lions tours that you're hoping will translate to the rest of the audience, but for the women's format. So you're already building on those structures, building on those, those there. Now, to that point, I would add South Africa, you didn't throw that name out there, but they are one of the traditional partners, would probably mm-hmm. not be a good partner because they're just not at the same level in regards to the women's game as they are in the men's game. Not Correct. nearly enough focus has been given to them, although that is progressively changing, but they're behind everybody else, in particular Australia and New Zealand in comparison, and even the US and Canada. So you put up some really, really good points, a great way to be able to start this debate. We have one <laughs> against it. Let's hand it over to Scott C what he thinks let's get hot baby so i think tj had a point where he was saying um it would be a stopover but this is where it gets interesting play the north american barbarians get the get the get the ladies who are playing over in the premier 15s you know right. canadian americans put them on one team for this one-off match and between those two you've already got 15 professional players this is what i'm you got more than that i mean it's it's yeah it's a ridiculous number of of percentage i think it's something like 17 percent of all the the women playing over in the premier 15s are north american women um uh so for the first one if i think you're right on that but here's the other thing we also have we also have a proven infrastructure on how to put these games for free online right with the uh, with the with the advantage of trn who's now proven what in their third season right uh, right fourth third or fourth season with trn that they can they can package a product they have the production value especially if they use a a true uh stadium you know they they do have the power to get the views that you need um and do the production you need on that one note there i'm just going to add a, a, a point to that if it was Rugby Canada they were competing against, TSN would have the rights to be able to show that, and that excludes the the the, the opportunity for everybody to watch it for free. But if it was the North American Barbarians or whatever you wanted to call them, uh, it would actually be a product outside of that package and could be placed on tier and making it accessible for everybody. To further your point, 
that let's that's exactly and and that the the other on the other side it would be a full rugby uh event if it was only if it was on the american side yeah. so that's why if you could package it as such and uh finagle your way out of the contractual obligations to have trn do the production of this i think you could um easily package that for the uk people back home to watch you have a 10 a.m uh-huh. kickoff um it'll work and they're going to see now see familiar names they see yeah. in uh the premier 15s week in and week out um i disagree with tj a little bit when he was talking about the fans going to going back to that all blacks match it seems as though right now if you're if you're looking at who's watching women's rugby they're not really caring about the fine like the score is not there they're getting uh-huh. into the culture they're getting into the individual players they're getting uh there are a lot of there are a lot of people on social media i gotta shout out my girl hold on one second there's a girl She's about 12 years old. Her name is Frankie out of the UK. She's at that rugby girl with two L's on TikTok. She has almost 5,000 followers. And, and this is what she does. She promotes the game of rugby. She promotes mm-hmm. women's rugby. Um, and, and she, at this, she's going to all the six nations, nations matches on the field as somebody who's covering these matches as a content creator at that young of an age. So, I mean, you have, you, 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 there's this broad spectrum of people who are now being exposed to rugby and it started with the rugby culture, not, I would say, the typical sports way of, oh, the team got mollywhomped by the All Blacks. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that. Bit, that's, 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 that's a good point. No, I, I, I just think that's a great perspective to add. That, that's, that's what I'm seeing. Um, but I think in the next couple of tours, what you do is that's the one thing you package. Also, you could package um, as, as Team USA and Rugby Canada kind of get up the snuff. Like we're having the Pacific Fours and it's going in you know, the next one we talked about, Ottawa stuff. You say, okay, well, the Lions come here the all blacks come and then you package multiple matches over two or three weekends in America. And that way, again, we can do the production to broadcast it for the Oceania group, um, you know, on the West coast, we can do it for the UK people on the East coast and kind of bridge that gap. You have both teams traveling uh, to, to places that have the infrastructure to ho- to host, host them and host their fans. Mm-hmm. So I think that at, at a certain point, I think that's the compromise we're going to see if these start going forward. So there's a really, really good stuff inside there. And I like how, you know, TJ being a, a, a great uh, uh, guest can concede, you know, hey, that's a good point. And, and that's why right, we have these debates, you know. right? That's why hey, we don't, have these don't, don't start that. Okay. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I, t- yeah. I take the point, but yeah, always right. Get out of here. Come on. So so let's let's unpack, each, unpack a few of those things. So what Scott was referring to was essentially the marketability of a product right? The rugby product and the, the uh, development of the Lions brand in a new market as well. So there's the marketability, the profitability, all these things that, are, that, that really they have to be able to look at. Because when they have decided to be able to introduce the idea, could this be feasible? We all have to be able to know that it's, it's money that's driving these decisions. Could it be profitable? Will it be marketable? Will it now have these secondary benefits of growing the game, building a brand, all of these things? And the answer is probably yes to, to Scott's point, but not in the packages we know it and have seen it before. So to, to your point, TJ, is as the pr- package has been traditionally seen and served to the rugby public, the answer is no. Where we lie in between might be with Rob uh, Hammerschmidt. So let's hand it over to him. Thanks. Well, I, I think there's there's some meat left on the bone between what my <laughs> two colleagues have presented. A few scraps. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to find those scraps. I'm like uh, you know, one of those turkey vultures that comes down from the sky. I just I just picture and... a hyena and lion king. That's that's yeah, what I'm doing. So so at any rate, uh, if one of my dogs were at home. Um so uh, one of the things I'd like to start off by saying is, you know, obviously what TJ led with, non-starter, uh, this needs to happen for women's rugby. A Lions tour needs to happen. But then we can also wrap up something new, fresh, exciting in the women's involvement in the Lions tour and reimagine how that might look with Lions tradition. So blend the old with the new. So what are we talking about? Well, first of all, obviously women new to the Lions tour, but the fact that, you know, to Ty's point earlier, South Africa is probably not going to be a destination, at least in the near future. They're not far enough along, but is North America far enough along? And the idea of a barbarian side somehow working into the mix certainly presents kind of a new optic, if you will, and brings in um, a new um, rugby a segment of the population in the world obviously North America. But then we also can go back to what the Lions tours originally started off as, is an actual tour where it's designed to spread, spread rugby and spread a, a love for the game. I go back to my first contact that I can remember with the Lions tour in 1997, Martin Johnson and, and, you know, uh, Neil Back and Delalio and all those guys, um, you know, Tom Smith, uh, Gregor Townsend going into the South African you know, uh, communities, the, the largely black communities and, you know, teaching them rugby and having content with them. How great would that be in North America? You know, it's for... funny that you bring that one up though. I was actually at one of those rugby camps. I was 13 years old playing Western province rugby and they did the same for the any rugby world cup, but yeah, it's the, the community outreach, those programs. Right. And I didn't mean to derail you. It was just right. funny. You mentioned that I actually have a personal connection to that. Right. And, and so, I, I guess I'd present it in this way. If you look at the rotation, when would the first Lions tour happen? Probably not going to happen for four years, 2027, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is the same year, by the way, that uh, the men's World Cup would be happening. And so you really have to give some thought to the rotation, right? I don't know that the United States is ready on the field to play um, a, a Lions team. Would they be ready as a Barbarians team, as Scott and TJ both talked about? Yes. And that's where they could do a bit of that to at least ignite interest in the women's game in kind of a long view preparation for 2023 or 2033, right? Then you come back in the next tour to North America and you play like USA and Canada. And hopefully if you, if world rugby is done with they what they're supposed to be doing along with the promotion of 2030, 31 and 2033 promoting the game and developing the game and getting more women involved in, and encouraging women to play the game. Do you have a better standard of play at that time? Can you sow the seeds early on with the Lions tour to help promote and develop the game in North America so that it's ready to happen in 2031. And now all of a sudden you've got a launching pad for 2033 when the women's game will be in North America as a rugby world cup, you know, so it's, it's that long view, greater vision for how, this Lions tour can really promote and develop the game in new parts of um, of the world that perhaps it traditionally hasn't touched upon in using the women to do so. Yeah. And you know, the women's game has had so many great achievements of late. And for those of you that aren't 
really aware. We kind of dabbled in some of those those thoughts here through the course of the conversation. But New Zealand, to start off with, has been most recently a successful host. In fact, the most successful host of a Rugby World Cup to date. Um, and record attendances, selling out Eden uh, Park. And with that comes the great honours of being crowned the champions too. So they certainly have proven that there's an appetite in New Zealand. Then in England, so too the appetite has grown where they are now moving from one stadium to a larger stadium. In fact, the largest platform for rugby in the England, which be Twickenham, the home of the RFU, and has, I believe, ticket sales in excess of 40,000, which rivals even internationals um, at Six Nations level, not only for, for the for women's game, and I mean the men's game, which traditionally has been the pride and crown jewel of the, the RFU. And as they wish to continue to protect that, they also want to be able to protect its brand, but grow it at the same time. And so there lies their struggle. Do they take a risk? Well, here's here's it's not. Here's here's the other thing because you talk about spreading the game of rugby. You know, maybe what you do is you have New Zealand come over to the United States to play that Lions mm-hmm. uh, tour, and then what you have is you know the, the curtain raiser is USA playing Fiji or US playing Samoa because or again could, the infrastructure. It could even be, it could even be a, a USA playing a, a second second British and Irish Lions side yeah. because if they do it traditionally, they're going to have enough players there. They could they could put two teams on at the same time. Right. The British and Irish Lions always travel oh, yeah. with much larger squad because they're playing yeah, right. numerous games and yeah, there's a midnight and a midweek side yeah. and a and a and a you know a, yeah. a tussle. And I, yeah, I just because yeah, in my on the right right. And think about what that does, by the way, for some of the sides that aren't on the level of England. I mean, obviously Scotland's not quite to that level. Wales mm-hmm. isn't quite to that level. They're having some struggles in their own in their own right. The professional uh, ranks, but you can get a lot more of those players from those sides into those midweek matches so to speak that would help the develop uh-huh. development of their upper echelons of their player mm-hmm. pool yeah and and like i said i think showcasing women's rugby in places that don't have the infrastructure right so you like i said you could take those some of those pacific islander teams to come to the united states knowing that you know we have the infrastructure as far as like you know uh television rights, stadiums, that type of thing, to then, again, play the United States uh, as a tune-up game. Or you know, they, one weekend, uh, USA plays that Lions B-side, and then the next weekend they play Fiji or Samoa. Well, I, th- and, I think you know, I'm I'm just so – I'm I think it's the the year of innovation is like there's there's so many different yeah. types of things that we're trying to do and that's that's what's happening with rugby is we're kind of breaking our mold. And I think as soon as you said that, Scott, I'm on one side going – no, nah, I want my rant and argument to be better, but I'm sitting here going, going, man, he brings up some good so points. Yeah, lost so, this yeah. one. Yes. I, I, honestly, I'll, I'll, I think, I'll no, but I think TJ just made probably the best point of the night is you can use this as an mm-hmm. innovation of what can be done because we, yeah. I feel we have broken the mold in some respect of that old boys club that everybody talks well, about. In, in some respect, <laughs> yeah. we have to go back to the pandemic itself to be able to allow for opportunities like this to exist because that was, you know, nearly two years of no rugby to be able to rethink everything we did. It forced us to be able to change the model, which already was struggling. You know, super rugby changed overnight. URC suddenly became something. Fallen away was the pro 14. Uh, US rugby, um, you know, in, like others went through its struggles bankruptcy. So obviously what we have been doing has been fine for some and for most it hasn't. So for those that it has been, they need to be able to go, okay, what have we got that's good? How do we make it better? 
Well, we've reached the potential in the men's game. Sadly so, the British and Irish Lions Tour, I don't think will be as easily accepted by rugby fans to say, hey, let's go to America for the men's game. No, no. that's just not what has been done. The rugby purists out there will be screaming mm-hmm. from every rooftop. Hell no. <laughs> but in the women's game, they're engaging an entirely new audience who is impressionable with whatever you want to be able to do. They're eager. They're open to suggestions. They're willing to adapt. And it's the market that will give you the most potential and the growth. When you look at growth as one of the metrics for success, geographic diversity, inclusivity, all these great points, welcoming of an inclusive culture. In fact, I'll read you the list of criteria here. And I want everybody to have this in their mind and imagine a visual check inside your head. Opportunity for growth. Geographic diversity, potential for commercial success, welcoming and inclusive culture, state-of-the-art facilities, tradition and history of hosting the tour. Okay, USA and Canada are out there, but that's only one thing. The rest, they're on the board. Then the next is rugby expertise and experience, meaning have they hosted events of the scale? You could argue yes. You could also argue no, um, depending on what angle you come from. Then finally, previous record attendances that rival uh, the other nations. USA, sure, is not there on maybe two of the last three. Um, probably on attendance, they don't have a, and they don't have a history of success in hosting similar uh, uh, tours. So I want that to be the basis of the last part of this conversation to focus on the criticisms that others might put forward when saying USA should not be a host. Now let's yeah. start with the first one when we talk about experience and expertise of hosting similar stuff. Who wanted the opportunity to jump in on that? Well, and, and that's where I guess I would say. I think the Lions tour presents a different type of host experience than does per se a world cup. Yeah. Right. Because in a world cup, you have multiple venues and you have, you know, pools and you have a series of matches and then you have the, the, the knockout part of the competition. And, you know, there's, you have to house, I mean, how many teams are there? 16 or there are 20 now, 20, something like that. And, you know, you've got 35 players and you got another probably 15 you know, 10 to 15 people on the management side with each team. I mean, think about the kind of uh, infrastructure you need to host all those teams, right? You don't need that much infrastructure to host a Lions tour. I mean, uh, you're you're talking about one large team, yes, but one team. You're talking about three to four tests, depending upon how it's organized. And you're probably talking about a home base, which you have a, a plethora of major cities that you could bring into the fold. Um, and and I'm sure that there are a number so of places saying, you can find. Logistically, it's actually easier because there's only one team right. traveling to multiple locations instead of multiple teams in multiple locations. Correct. You have and one all- home base that's going to serve as serve as their their place to kind of train and organize and eat, etc. And then we go out for the test. You obviously have facilities that'll work yeah. all around the United States. So I don't think it's that big of a challenge. And like I said, it for me it it establishes a tune up. For yeah. 2031, 2033, this is a tune-up for the United States. Get right. ready. It's coming. Well, Here's your kind of little right, test. Right. Yeah. Sure and I'll even, I'll even add to the add to the point on that is like obviously from a from a traditional standpoint, if, if the British and Irish Lions are gonna play USA or something like that, my, my point is still like they're they're not ready. But Correct. I think the aura of the Brit British and Irish Lions coming to USA. It's a lot of people will sit there and go like, oh, the All Blacks are coming, blah, blah, blah. It's it's something like that's just going to be an experience in itself because you've got, I know it's the the Barmy Army, that's the the cricket cricket team for England, mm-hmm. but like all the fans that would travel over to America from, from the UK and from all those areas just so they can 
live that experience in here and then people hear about that the aura around all the all the games it's going to be yeah. very enticing on, on that note about traveling it's way easier for a uk fan to travel to the us than it might be australia or new zealand mm-hmm. certainly yep. on their pocket mm-hmm. yeah i mean listen 2016 you had saracens playing the london irish at red bull arena uh, i think they saw at 25,000 seats i think they sold 18,000 tickets that was 2016 for a fucking premiership match like we're not talking yeah, right and that's a national test match. No, there's no, there's, well, yeah, no, 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 that, well, no, the, no, that was a oh. league match. It was a league match. Oh, sorry. My um, mistake. But, and then the next year it was Newcastle versus Saracens in Philadelphia. And the same thing, they sold about 75% of the tickets. But my yes, point still, being, 2016. You know, that's, that's, you know, that premiership rugby in 2016 and 2017, selling out 75% of the stadiums mm-hmm. they're in. And now we're talking about a inaugural British and Lions tour, um, British and Irish Lions tour. And, Team USA being involved, and we know that, you know, especially in the United States, when when the Eagles play, we show up. So, I mean, regardless right. of who's traveling, we're still going to show up in whatever venue we're playing in. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, getting back to one of the challenges like the United States, you know, is it a, is it a on the field, is it positive enough a challenge? I guess I'd only ask this question, like, outside of New Zealand, and I agree, New Zealand would probably be the ideal for the first one, that'd be the ideal uh, team to face. But outside of New Zealand, Who's kind of in the mix to to challenge British and Irish Lions side? I mean, quite frankly, England was an odds-on favorite. It's going to be heavily England influenced if it's just purely selected on yeah. merit alone. Unless you I mean, decide, hey, we're going to sprinkle in some of the top, other I mean, sides top, we top ten representation. Top ten. You know, in, yeah, England, France. right now, England, New Zealand, France, Canada, Italy, Australia, USA, right. Wales, yeah. Ireland, Japan. I, well, guess I what? Feel, England, yeah. Wales, Ireland are all going to be part of that. Right, yeah. right, right, I, I, feel, right. I personally feel like um, although Australia on paper doesn't have um, the the best team to compete against, like they're not on the same level as the Black Ferns, they're not on the same level to compete. It's like if we go traditional route where we play British and Irish Lions, Australia, but they do have the Super W where they've got the depth, where they mm-hmm. they could have their second and third string play the Brumbies or the Reds or, or play like um, Scott's idea, like, like yeah, a Barbarian side or something like that. Just they, they and again, you... Yeah, you, bring Australia, you bring Australia, you bring Australia to the United States. You bring Australia and New Zealand to the United States. Oh, great, great point, actually. So Rob, point, Scott, point, because Charlotte Catholic, when she was here for that LA7s, um, not LA7s, mm-hmm. but they came and did that um, halftime show at yeah. um, at the Coliseum. I obviously went to school with her and I got to catch up with her. But the amount of girls that were just flocking towards her heard yep charlotte mm-hmm. catholic is in town that came just specifically for that halftime match they didn't care about the guiltinis they came and just went i want to get a picture with charlotte nobody Kasselik. cared about the guiltinis get out of here oh plenty plenty and i was i was showing them away because they're all that's 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 all it but yeah no it's, but but no but this is what you're talking about right so if you take australia and the united states which are right now in the same tier and you bring in new zealand and that british uh, british and uh isles uh like fuck the lions over yeah. that's where you have you have the thing you have okay usa plays australia new zealand plays the lions and then next week you flip those you know what i mean yeah. you have new zealand play australia because that's always going to be and then usa play the lions and again i think those they will bring in so much broadcast numbers even though the, you know australia might yeah. get you know killed by new zealand that's still going to bring in broadcast yeah. numbers and yeah. and one thing we haven't said, but I'm sure many people already know this, but it might be worth mentioning, is that in regards to women's sports, rugby is among one of the fastest growing in the nation. 
Yeah. regardless of, of, you know, where it may be, but certainly at a college level, it's finding the greatest. And that's going to be who are you, your, your next generation of professional athletes. Those yeah. will be who will be buying tickets as well to be able to go and experience it. Uh, that will be the lifeblood of, of a really great rugby culture mm-hmm. that will support a tournament like that in whatever version it might be on American soil. Mm-hmm. And if it comes to be that it also includes Canada, I'm sure both would be acceptable hosts. Um, but we wanted to be able to, uh, in, in, well, in these final moments, remind our fans who are tuning in and listening to us do our thing here, that they have the opportunity to tell us what they think. Is it a great idea? Do you think that America could support it? Would they be competitive on the field? And would they offer a competitive product overall? Let us know by following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. As per usual, you can do so on social media, all the major platforms, while continuing to enjoy our content through TRN and all of your podcast platforms, wherever you may choose to consume it. We are there and we'll be here week after week as we do here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. As you know, to grow rugby one fan at a time. Gentlemen, it's been an interesting debate, but I think as we stand, this was all about trying to convince TJ that we're right and it should be in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest. If, if USA Rugby and the MLR just listen to the, to the four of us with yeah, our ideas, yeah, right, right. I'm telling you, these ideas work. They just got to implement yeah. Yeah. Look, we don't know the specifics. We don't know how to put them in action. But I tell you what, it certainly is a reflection of what the general rugby population might be thinking. And I think that all of us can agree that we've already seen some of the stuff that we've spoken about here find its way into professional rugby in one way or another. Um, Because, you know, we do have a few ears that do happen to listen that are close to the action. And if a few of those might be listening in here as far afield as the U.K., America's ready and is willing to host. So uh, pay attention because we're an audience that is continuing to grow its appetite and will continue to grow the game while we do it. So TJ, as per usual, thank you very much for joining us and a a strong uh, uh, presence always here on the show. Uh, Thank you very much. But did you have any final words you wanted to be able to say? No, I think... Man, like I've been watching the British and Irish Lions since I was a little kid, and like you always come in and you you know the traditionalism and and everything that comes with with the tour and and just every time I jump on this podcast, I think my coaching gets better because we start to spray out so many different ideas and and the like we start to innovate and and break the mold even even more, and then my brain just starts flowing. So yeah, Scott, even though you're a piece of crap when you come on here half the time, I still I still love I still love. <laughs> I still love all the all the yeah. I still still love all the things that you you throw at me because man, you you get my brain working like like no one else, man. So it's good stuff. But no, I think I think like we like you said, we don't have all the answers, but I think we've got some pretty pretty good ideas. And I think if we do start to stick with that innovation and we start to do that, we're going to continue to go rugby one fan at a time, just like the rugby ran. So it's 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 good stuff. I think I think we stick with that mold and yeah, let's get more high caliber rugby, especially for our women over here in America. Absolutely. And of which you are a great ambassador. And I hope to be able to see you here in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, while you uh, apply your trade in in honor of the sport. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with that encounter. We'll continue to be able to follow it and hopefully be able to cover your success here on the show as we invite you back, I'm sure, in the future to be able to talk about that and more when it comes to rugby. But on behalf of myself and the rest of the team, a big shout out to Scott to Rob, and of course, everybody else who's been tuning in. We thank you very much for your continued support, and we will stick around to continue doing this week after week with your help. And thank you very much for tuning in, and we will catch you at the next.